electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I've been with my friends just trying to make some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, but days like this in perspective. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Nice, mean, I don't care. Eternal or not. Hope actually sprung this week, and you owned hope. If you owned stocks, instead of dumping them into the misery of the week before, this week was a huge boost to your portfolio, with still one more terrific rally day. Dow gaining 274 points, the S&P jumping 1.17%, and the Nasdaq surging 2.05%. This week is the perfect reminder that you can't afford to flit in and out so easily. You can't just say, you know what, I'll sell everything and get back in when things are better. Remember, I told you that all week. When you do that, you end up missing a week like this, which is about as big as it gets. There's always a major reason I'm always telling you to stay the course, even if so many other commentators want you to head for the hills. It's why I presented constructive work from some of my favorite charters this week, because they're unemotional about the state of the world. The charts have no feelings. More on that later. Remember, most of the big gains each year happen on just very few days. You have all these trading days of the year, but most of the gains occur in a cluster, and then they're over. So we must ask ourselves, will that be the case next week? Let's take a look at our game plan. All right, we start Monday as we start every Monday since the Russian invasion of Ukraine with a slim, small hope that there's some success in the peace talks. So far, so bad. And I don't see why anything will stop Putin's advance, except maybe Mother Nature, which could make it too rainy for him to bring in the new equipment he needs if he wants to start leveling major cities. That's actually true, by the way. It's hard to imagine that sanctions alone will bring him down. But this was supposed to be a short, victorious war for Russia. So the longer it drags out, the worse it'll be for Putin's regime. I know each week can be different, and we've no longer oversold in the SBI oscillator. I just checked. So it's so different from last Friday, huh, after the remarkable run. But we won't have to wait long to find out if things are going to continue because we have a big company that reports after the close. Dow Jones, Bellwether, Nike. And I've got to tell you, I think the quarter is going to be complicated by myriad issues 
mostly involving Chinese spending. I know the Chinese stock market was good, but are they buying things? I don't expect Nike will actually have good numbers, but that's now the conventional wisdom, which leaves open the possibility of an upside surprise. All right, Tuesday. Once a year it happens. Once a year. Tuesday, CEO Jensen Wong, keynote at GTC. Tuesday's huge. This is the man I call Leonardo da Vinci. He's the CEO of NVIDIA, and he speaks at this conference for developers. I know this sounds like pure idolatry. I mean, whoever would name their dog after a company. But, well, this speech will define where tech is, where it's going, and what are the boundaries that must be smashed. And he'll smash them. Now, here's what I do. I watch it live, first of all, and then I watch it again. And perhaps because I'm just not smart enough, I watch it a third time. I am not at this man's level. Actually, no one's at Jensen's level. Even though he speaks in plain English, it's very hard to grasp what the future really looks like. The fact that he's fun, that he has a zest for life, and he's kind, and a personality, all of it will come come across. I need you to watch this. Jensen doesn't make you wish that you were smarter. He does make you wish you were more curious. I find him amazing. His thinking should define your thinking. It's how I get some of my best tech ideas. After the close Tuesday, we get an incredibly important quarter from Adobe, also one of my favorite software companies, filled with creativity as a CEO who understands how the web is a force of democratization that inspires people to tell the stories they know. Remember, we're all storytellers. We all have stories. Adobe lets you tell them. Adobe's got a real sense of purpose, which is unusual. Right now, the long knives on Wall Street are out for them. Several analysts saying there's limited upside to the quarter. I think it'll be better than that, but the standards have gotten ridiculously high for this fabulous company. Wednesday, we, ha- we find out if the market has an appetite for other food stocks besides the incredible Hershey's, which is amazing stock. When General Mills reports, Mills has a story career, but I think it's no longer the Mills of old. It's become way too episodic for my taste. My view, the food stocks are a diminishing group. Why? Well, they're hurt by inflation in every part of their manufacturing chain. A lot less defensive than they used to be. After the close, we hear from KB Home. Now, I'm waiting. I keep waiting for a home builder that says, you know what? We have slack in demand because interest rates have gone higher. Mortgage rates are now 4%. It sure has not happened yet. Given that Lennar talked a very good game about how the world's shaking out right now, and that was a very good conference call, by the way, I bet KB Homes blows away the numbers and even gets some recognition for doing so. As for the response to higher rates, they'll probably predict that demand remains rabid for homes in California. All right, next up, a little curious, I know, Ollie's Bargain Outlet Holdings. Now, I am a proud member of Ollie's Army, meaning I belong to a club that gets special deals from this down and dirty uh, outlet chain, one that sells markdown merchandise that is basically offloaded from other retailers that need cash that Ollie's has. And they buy the stuff for next to nothing, and they sell it to you for a little next to nothing. Now, speaking of bargains, I just bought a terrific book about the last days of Nazi Germany for under a buck at Ollie's. Even though it was water warped and could have doubled as a door jam, I think it was a bargain. The key thing for Ollie's, how do you think I made money? Wait, by going buying books full-time on Amazon? I go to Ollie's. Anyway, um, it's whether they can get their hands on enough inventory. I mean, they exist to take unsold inventory from other retailers. But what happens when consumers are willing to pay full price for pretty much everything and there's nothing to sell? Well, maybe you go get water-damaged books, right? Bad news for Ollie's army. 
Next up, earlier this week, we went to see Steve Squeery. Uh, remember, he's the excellent CEO of American Express, who talked about how people are going out. And again, they're finally they've been cooped up for ages. Now, I want to know, are they going to Capitol Grill? Are they going to Olive Garden? Are they going to Longhorn Steak? We'll find out when parent company Darden reports on Thursday morning. Stock's been acting a little funky lately. Given that they have all different demographics attending, it gives you a fabulous sense of where we are. I had a really good brunch at Longhorn recently. They have killer, killer mark. Uh, just absolutely killer Bloody Marys. I'm not kidding. I mean, my wife doesn't even like them. She tried one. After that Baconator thing, I shouldn't have mentioned that. We'll take it out in post-production. Friday, we get the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Report, and I'll be glued to this one because the level of dissatisfaction with this country seems mighty high. This is an important number for J-PAL because the desire of Americans to spend their darn fool heads off is surely waning. I regard this number as a great arbinger of Home Depot and Lowe's, as we'll soon turn the page to gardening and outdoor living season. Uh, and I'll tell you that gardening season is like Christmas for them. And if things are gloomy, well, their numbers won't make it. Uh, by the way, I still like Lowe's really much. Now, after this huge week, it's normal to expect some profit taking. So it wouldn't surprise me if we have some bitter days ahead. I need you to steal yourself. But I will say this. After the gains we've had this week, you got to go over your portfolio. The dip buyers, or at least the few left, the ones so disdained by professionals, they might be back, knowing the Fed is a month away, but you don't have anything of consequence until another week's time. But here's the bottom line. If you still own the stocks of unprofitable companies that don't even have any good cash flow and sell at high-priced multiples to sell, I'm begging you to use this chance, started by today, to do some selling and reposition yourself into more tangible companies with much cheaper stocks that I will give you in tonight's show. I'm going to give them to you. But if you own good, profitable companies, buckle up. It's your time. Let's go to Derek in California. Derek. Booyah, Tim. First time caller, long time listener. You're I like those. I like sir. the first time, long time. That's what they call them, guys. First time, long right, time. Right, right. Uh, earlier, you were discussing Northrop and LMT and, and Raytheon. And you said LMT had the shoulder fire. I recently uh, heard a report saying that the uh, military is going to be spending 35% less on the F-35. Jim, how do you feel about ticker symbol LMT? All right, look. Sometimes you have to look at these companies. You have to say, who is the CEO? And the CEO for that company is Jim Tanklet. Remember him from American Tower? When that stock was at 50, he came to me and said, listen, there's people betting against me. He's making up lies, doing this and that. You know what? He's darn right. I think Lockheed Martin's a buy. I want to go to Bo, who is in Florida. Bo. Booyah, Jimmy. I hope all is well, my friend. It's not bad, actually. It's not bad. I'm going to be hanging with my daughter this weekend. We're going to be streaming. You know what people do. We binge, but just on product. Look, we're thinking about looking at the Theranos thing. It. it looks good. All right, what's up? What's up? So I've got a problem, Jimmy. My girlfriend will not stop begging me to buy Lululemon. I mean, honestly, it's, it's getting ridiculous. She's got the Lululemon leggings. She's got Lululemon golf outfits, Jim. She doesn't even play golf. Uh, they're coming out with this new shoe line. And, you know, Lululemon being down 33% from its highs, 47 PE, I think it's a great company. I remember when it was in the 70s, I was like, man, I should have bought it then. Could have, should have, would have. What do you think about it now? Have you thought about counseling? I think this is a tough one. You know, that you could go together. You could go separately. Um, Lou is very hard. It's an expensive stock. But I will tell you this. I believe in Calvin McDonald. I think that she's right. I'm sorry, man. You're on the wrong side of this trade. 
Bo, as they say, doesn't know. Hope springs this week, no doubt about it. After Big Moose Horror, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some prize profit taking. But next week, it's my favorite week of the year. Other than like, you know, like my anniversary and stuff or like my wife's birthday. This is the real deal. All right, so I'm urging you to do some selling if you own some of the stocks that are unprofitable companies that moved up this week. But I'm giving a good one tonight. Uh, a company called Vacasa. I didn't know them either. Give us guess a taste of paradise, but could paradise be in profits? I'm checking in. This is like an under $10 stock, man. Off the charts has become a Kramerican favorite. I'm checking in on some of the old favorites with another guy who's so right, Larry Williams. You're going to do exactly what he says. And it's not just because I'm Svengali. And there have been a host of new listings over the past few years. Which of them actually have some free cash flow and are not a bunch of jokers you got to stay away from? I'm going to give you my favorites. So stay with Jensen and stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Don't look now. But as I told Scott Wapner earlier, some of the SPAC stocks are finally starting to make a comeback after spending ages in the penalty box. Take Vacasa, which is a software platform that allows owners of vacation properties to rent them out for extra income. Unfortunately, Vacasa came public by merging with a SPAC late last year. And as soon as the deal closed, the stock sank like a stone, falling from $10 right before the close to $5.40 a week and a half ago. Since then, it's caught fire, climbing just under $8 today. Part of that's because of the broader market-wide strength, but a lot of it's because Vacasa reported a terrific quarter earlier this week. Unlike so many SPAC names, and remember, we're on the hunt for good ones, this is a real company that should be able to generate $1 billion in sales this year. I like this. It's not quite profitable yet, 
but it's getting close. So is it time to give this one serious consideration? Let's check in with Matt Roberts, the CEO of Vacasa to learn. We get a little better sense. And also, I'm going to ask Matt to talk about his previous background before we get to this. Matt, welcome back to Mad Money. Matt, you're a moneymaker. Hey. Tell people what you did before this so people know why I think that you know how to do it right. Uh, thanks, Jim. It's great to be back on the show. I used to be the CEO of Open Table, Restaurant and that, Reservation. And that was one of the greatest hits Mad Money has ever had. So we wanted to thank you, thank our, our viewers. En masse bought this stock, and it matters. Now I'm thinking maybe they should buy the cuss. Now I say this because I was checking with Brian Chesky, who is the CEO of Airbnb. A lot of people feel you're a competitor. The first thing he says to me is we got a great relationship with them. So tell me how it works that you, who a lot of people are saying is a second uh, banana to, um, to Airbnb, are actually partners and doing great together. Yeah, we're great, strong partners with, with Airbnb, booking, verbo. So the, the, the focus for us is on the supply side. This is bringing availability online. And it's, uh, it's really our, our primary focus. We're, we're focused on making homeowners the most amount of money and making it super easy for them. So we are the product on the shelf, if you will. We're providing critical supply that fuels the whole growth engine of alternative accommodations, which is growing fantastic, as you know. Okay, so my wife's down in uh, Delray because uh, you look at, hey, you know what? We're older. Some of the, uh, we, we're snowbirds, all right? And she went to a person, rented the place, but there was no uh, Vacasa. The person who rented it to us wanted very much to be hands-on. Now, that mm. is, that's not necessarily the way. If you can't be hands-on, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can rent out your home yourself uh, or you can work with Vacasa. Uh, we're, we're a full service. Uh, think about it from a homeowner perspective. They just hand us the keys. They book the nights they want to use for themselves and we write them a check each month and we write them a big check, too. <laughs> we, we, when they switch over to us, they earn, you know, on average, about 20 percent more the first year they're with us. All right, well, uh, so we, but, yeah, but, we take care of everything. To me, it said to me, Matt, is younger people who can get, you know, have enough money, some means to be able to buy a vacation place somewhere, but they can't afford it, might be able to afford it by going down, say, four or five weeks a year and then give it over to you to make the money to be able to pay for it. That's exactly right. We're seeing more and more people contemplating how much money they can make by the rental income as a determinant of how how much of a house they can actually afford which actually obviously creates nice lock-in for us because we're a critical part of how they afford the home. So it's, it's, it's exactly right. Do you have a team? I mean, someone who uh, can show you the place or at least virtually show you? Someone who can clean it up after someone else had it? Give you peace of mind that the place is good if you own the place? That's right. We take care of everything. We set up the home to, to we create the marketing copy. We set all the pricing. And importantly, we handle all the guest reservations. So we, we take care of the guests before, during, and after the stay. We make sure that the home is well-maintained and clean. Uh, you know, we, we actually take care of everything that you would need. So cable? you're not getting that. Cable? Full, full, when full. we couldn't get Netflix? I'm not kidding. We couldn't <laughs> get Netflix. We didn't know who to call. I mean, that kind of thing is you like. Call us. Wow. You would call us. Yeah, Matt, you would call Matt, us. I, gotta, I knew it. I knew it when I heard you were doing something that it would be like how great Open Table was. All right, so we discovered during COVID that we were afraid of hotels. All right, 
because you got to get an elevator with someone. I still don't like it. I'm hearing about this new, uh, this whole new strain. Uh, to me, staying at a house has turned out to be the safest way to vacation. Are you seeing that? Yeah, obviously, during the pandemic, we became the accommodation of choice. Absolutely. For all the reasons you just talked about. But it's interesting, though, uh, this is really not just a COVID thing, right? This right, started right. over a decade ago. Like, we had about 10 percent of the people staying in alternative accommodations that grew to 30 percent by the end of the decade. So this is not a new thing. It's an accelerant to the trend uh, during the past you know, pandemic period of time. But it's not a new thing. It's, it's actually just it's a nicer way to travel. Okay, so I'm a wealthier person. I'm watching Kramer. I got this guy, Matt. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm going to go start that business tomorrow. What, what edge do you have? Uh, it's really hard to do what we do. Uh, it's a very uh, logistics-heavy business. Uh, the most important thing, though, is it's technology-enabled. Like The entire foundation of the business is technology-based. Uh, the only way we're able to do and scale and run the business so efficiently and effectively is because we proprietary. We have a bunch of proprietary technology. That's everything from a homeowner app to a guest app to a to a field service app. So they check all the things are done before they leave after each clean. Uh, we have revenue management tools with AI and a lot of algorithms that actually maximize the revenue that homeowners get. That stuff takes time and expertise to build, and that's what we've done, and we built it to scale. All right. Well, I'm going to tell people I usually don't do this. This guy made everybody a lot of money, okay? Matt Roberts made a lot lot of money for people. I think he's going to do it again with Fakasa. all right? I don't do that typically. I'm saying it now. Matt, great to see you again. Thanks, Jim. Guys, small-dollar stock. I'm thinking I immediately called my wife. I said, should we be looking at property? Because we got this guy on our side, just like we did when we opened our restaurants. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, sharpen your sweet tooth. Kramer goes off the charts with a wham-bang breakdown of bang and more. Next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All week we've been doing some crazy stuff here, right? Well, look, it, it, this was a fabulous counter-trend rally after months of hideous action. And, and that's especially true for all the beaten-down tech stocks that have been able to bounce back. Kind of glorious. But regular viewers know that I still feel some trepidation about this market. While there were a ton of stocks that came down too far too fast, the overall backdrop of this rally is still suboptimal. You know why? 
there are still far fewer winners than I'd like to see, and they tend to be clustered in a couple of industries that have we've learned to be more treacherous than we thought. So that's why all week we've been consulting technicians. Yes, people who look at charts to get a better read on the situation because their methods help take our emotions out of the equation. Now, in the last week, Wall Street's going from despair to euphoria. And you don't want either of those feelings to guide your decision making because that's how you make mistakes. So let's go to someone who has been around so long. I love the guy. I'm talking about checking in with Larry Williams. He's a legendary technician and market historian who's been trading stocks, futures and commodities since I still had a safety blanket and diapers that you didn't dispose. Larry's written more than a dozen books. He's created a ton of his own proprietary indicators. Everybody uses them. And most importantly, he's got a magnificent multi-decade track record that's only gotten better since COVID threw the markets in disarray. I don't know if you remember, he actually called the exact bottom in the COVID sell-off. So rather than focus on the average again, I said, hey, let's, Larry, what are you looking at? And he said, well, let's drill down into some specific names from both the market's old guard and its new leadership, with the last one being one that I think everybody who's watching is going to get comfortable with. We're going to start with the old guard, which is Fang. You remember that acronym I came up with? Facebook, now Meta Platforms, Amazon, Alphabet, Netflix, and Google. Now, uh, I, I mean, Amazon, Apple, all right? Now, look, listen to me. Well, these are formerly hot names. They've struggled since the Fed started getting serious inflation back in November. Some have held up better than others. But just like I have a lot of those, a a lot of the tech stocks that are profitless, these guys also peaked, too. They all peaked and they've all been hurting. Williams points out that nearly all the FANG names have consistently made lower lows. And that's a telltale sign of weakness. I have to own this because you know that most of the the Chapel Trust owns these stocks. And they've they've not been good actors. I mean, Facebook's been the weakest. Apple made a lower low earlier this month. Amazon did the same thing. Netflix is so ugly that it's challenging Facebook as the weakest in the cohort. This isn't the way it used to be. But now take a look at the daily chart of my favorite. Take a look at the daily chart of Alphabet, which we actually bought more of for the charitable trust when it dipped. One of the few that we did. This is the artist formerly known as Google. Unlike the other Fang plays, Alphabet's got a stable floor of support. It hasn't made a lower low. Look at this. It hasn't made it. This tells Williams that the stock's been in strong hands. It's under accumulation, meaning the big institutional money managers never truly stopped buying. Whereas the rest of Fang experienced months, moments of mass capitulation where tons of shareholders threw in the towel and became sellers, Alphabet shareholder base didn't go anywhere. According to Williams, when a stock holds up like this, while the broader market's getting hammered, it's one of the strongest patterns he knows. This alone should make you own some Alphabet. But we're not done. Take a look at the blue line at the bottom of the chart, okay? This is the on-balance volume indicator, all right? It's a a cumulative indicator that measures volume flow, adding the volume on up days, then subtracting the volume on down days. For charges, this volume is like a lie detector. With Google, you see what's known as a positive divergence here. While the stock tested its January low in late February, okay, and March, the on-balance volume line held substantially above those levels. This is such a bullish pattern that it's, it shakes me to see how great this one is. Next up, take a look at the action in Google plotted next to one of Williams' proprietary indicators that measures professional accumulation. Here you can see Google made a couple of peaks going back to November, all right? 
when the stock went higher while the professional accumulation line went lower. That told you big institutions were selling right there. Buying of the of just we don't know who's buying it, but we know the pros because of the Williams index. The pros were selling. All right. Now, keep that in mind. Now, Williams points out that we have the reverse. The stock's moving sideways while the professional accumulation line is headed higher. Again, this is so bullish. Now, I'm going to blow your, blow your minds with this one. Williams also likes to look at seasonal patterns. Actually, that's what is one of his favorite things to do. How stocks typically do at a given point in the year. Now, check this out. With Google, there's a strong seasonal pattern where the stock tends to rally from April through July. Late March tends to mark the stock's seasonal bottom. Well, guess what next week is? Late March. According to Williams, in the last 14 years, if you booked Google on the first day of April and sold it 20 days later, you would have made money, take a guess, 92% of the time. 92%. Don't you want in on that? There's one other fang name that's held up better than the average. They're not quite as good as Google, but, you know, I like this one, too. It's called Amazon. All right, the stock's now bouncing hard off its lows, and Williams is betting that it's got more room to run. First, check out the daily chart of Amazon plotted against the seasonal pattern. Here we go again. Just like with Google, this is exactly the time of the year when Williams would expect the bottom based on the calendar. In the last 12 years, if you bought Amazon on the first day of April and held it for 35 days, Williams says that you would have made money 11 out of 12 times. Even the one time it didn't work, you only had a small loss. I love these kinds of things. I love these correlations. I think he makes a compelling case. But, of course, Google and Amazon are no longer the leaders of this market. Other than this week, even mega cap tech has struggled. So you need to be a bit of a contrarian to bet on these right here. Not everybody wants to stick their neck out like that. But there's one defensive stock, and this is incredible, because it was the same one that worked in the year 2000 when we had the dot-com bomb. One defensive stock Larry likes that may be more fitting for this current moment. It's a company that's so well-run with a great CEO, and that company is Coca-Cola. Can you imagine? Good dividend, good buyback. How about a good chart? Take a look at the daily chart coupled with the on-balance volume. Okay, Williams points out that a ton of volume has come in here on the long side, even as Coke has pulled back from its highs over the last couple of weeks. Now, this is an extremely positive sign. It tells you that big institutional money managers are buying it aggressively. Made me want to buy it when I heard about that. I said, geez, I got to put this in the bullpen for the travel trust, for the, for the investing club, because it just makes so much sense to me. Coke is exactly the kind of stock that hedge funds love to own at this point in the business cycle, which is a key reason why it's been able to outperform the major averages. Williams is betting that outperformance will continue. Next, take a look at the action in Coca-Cola versus seasonal pattern in red. Just like Google and Amazon, Williams points out that this is precisely the time of year when Coke is likely to bottom. The stock tends to rally nicely from April through June. Now, Williams also looks for, uh, to search for all sorts of correlations in order to find reliable trades. And he's found one with Coke. I want you to take a look at this chart. This shows you Coca-Cola in black. This one blew my mind. Uh, and sugar prices. Sugar prices push forward about one year in blue. Almost all of this company's products are based on sugar. And what Williams sees here is that there's a powerful relationship between Coke's share price and the price of sugar. In fact, it's almost uncanny how closely Coke's stock follows the action in sugar from a year ago. Okay, Uh, you might expect the stock to go down after sugar goes up because it's a major input cost for them. Uh Uh-uh. When you push the data forward one year, Williams finds that Coke's stock follows sugar. 
if the pattern holds, means the Coke can continue to rally. The bottom line, oh, man, is this a confusing moment for everybody, right? But like I tell you, every night there's always a bull market somewhere. Right now, the charts as interpreted by Larry Williams suggest we've got incredibly bullish action in Google, very good bullish action in Amazon, and money in the bank action in what we call knockout Coca-Cola. I would not bet against Larry Williams. Let's go to Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. I enjoyed the talk by you and Jeff this morning. Oh, thank you. Our 1020 morning meeting. I am telling you, everyone should be in the club. It's the most candid. And I don't even I talk, I, we talk about personal stuff in order to make you money, which I love. Let's go to work together. Mark. OK, my question's about Unity Software. I bought it at 130 and sold it at 176 as it declined. It's bounced back a bit the last few days. Uh, independent analysts rate it poorly, but I value your judgment more than theirs. Do you think it's worth repurchasing at this point? Um, Unity is a company with John Riccatello that's come all the way down. was up 4.7% today to the point where I think that it can have make 20 points for you. I don't think it's going to go all the way back to 210, but, Mark, I do think it can rally. Uh, and, and, uh, but, it, remember, it doesn't earn money, and I'm focused on companies that earn money. Companies like Coca-Cola, companies like Amazon, companies like Google. I have to tell you, if you don't buy the Coke or the Google, if you're a trader, I think you're making a big mistake. You're betting against Larry Williams, the best that's ever been. All right, I say it every night. There's always a bull market summer, and the charts suggest that what we're seeing in Google, Amazon, and Coca-Cola is real. Much more bad money. Could there be uh, some winners among the IPO class of 2021? I found one! No, I'm sharing an important screener that I'm using for the group. We got a couple. Then last week, we were wondering when the great bear market would come to an end. But after a week of green, now we have to wonder whether the great bull market is going to come to an end. I'll give you my cake. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's really fired up edition of the Lightning Round! So stay with Kramer. You know me, I spent a lot of time trash talking the 600-odd companies that came public last year. More than 400 traditional IPOs, over 200 SPAC mergers. I think a great many of these stocks are absolute garbage. But I want to paint with too broad a brush, especially because this whole edifice has collapsed over the past few months. It's, it's a little late to get out of them. With more than 600 newly public names, some of them are worth picking at now that they've come down so dramatically from their highs, right? I mean, that's my feeling. If you know what you're looking for and you're bold enough to take a chance in them, you actually might be able to spot some real good opportunities, but it's very difficult. We've tried being opportunistic with this group before. It worked out pretty well, frankly. The key is to be rigorous. In late January, we ran a screen of newly public stocks. We were looking for companies on track to earn money this year with reasonable price earnings multiples. I highlighted 12 of them. You know, fast forward nearly two months and nine of these 12 stocks are actually up, despite this being an incredibly difficult period for the market in general, and newly minted stocks in particular. In fact, the group's up roughly 10% on average. So this worked. This screen worked for us. So let's go back to the well, right? We're going to go back to the IPO and SPAC well with a more refined approach this time, though. Last time we picked among the rubble, we were looking at earnings. This time we're looking at cash flow. Why cash flow, you ask? Because we're taking our cue from Bill Smith, the co-founder and CEO of Renaissance Capital, perhaps the best IPO expert out there right now. Every Sunday, Smith puts out a free newsletter that we read religiously. By the way, you should sign up for this. Thing. This year, they've become pretty dour. But a couple weeks ago, Smith included a throwaway line that really caught my attention. 
After a ton of gloom and doom about the hideous performance of recent IPOs, he pointed out this quote, 2021 IPOs with positive free cash flow have higher returns than the rest. That's why we're looking at free cash flow. Since the members investing club meeting, I've told you the new mad money party line. At this point in the business cycle, you want to own companies that make stuff and do things, turning a profit in the process. Ideally enough for profit, they can turn some of that profit to you via dividends and buybacks. That's a big ask for a company that just came public. They're usually in growth mode, so it makes more sense for them to invest in the business than waste money on dividend payments. Free cash flow is an easier lift, and it still gives you a clear idea of what a company's really doing, whether it's making money or not. So let's go to work. When the traditional IPOs from the class of 2021 and 2022, along with the 151 stocks in the CNBC Post SPAC index, only 380 of them are still large enough for me to talk to about on television. From those 380 new listings, excluding the 42 where we couldn't find enough data, there were 125 names that had positive free cash flow in 2021. Discouraging, but not surprising, a lot of junk came public last year. Next, we, we considered valuation. So we cut anything that's trading at more than 40 times its free cash flow. Then we also threw away some Chinese and Russian and Cypriot stocks. They're geographically tough to own right now. That left us with 60 names. There were some surprises. Uh, for instance, I didn't expect to see wheels up in there. That private jet rental club had a post-SPAC stock, been a horrific performer. Yet they had positive free cash flow uh, last year. Even with the stock at $3 and change, though, I'm not tempted. I'm not tempted because they're set to keep losing money until... 2025. Not good enough for me. We also found some overlap with our January screen based on positive earnings. Platika, Open Lending, Traeger, Solo Brands, all of these continue to have my endorsement. But tonight we want some fresh ideas. After pouring over the 16 newly public stocks that passed the test, there are five that I think are okay. First is Hayward Holdings. This is a maker of pool equipment and related automation systems. I've been watching since it came public a little over a year ago. I love the pool business. It's one reason I've been recommending Pool Corp for ages. Hayward Holdings occupies a similar position, but it's a very consolidating industry. Now, when Hayward reported its most recent results, it took a bit of an earnings hit because of rising costs and supply chain disruptions. But the stock barely skipped a beat. While their guidance was allegedly disappointing, they're still forecasting 9 to 12 percent EBITDA growth this year, which many of these companies would kill for. Plus, the stock trades at less than 14 times this year's earnings, earnings, making it much cheaper than Pool Corp. That one works for me. Second is a little controversial. It's called MarketWise. I watched the numbers this week. post spac name that sunk like a stone since it completed its merger last summer. I know these guys from the, my old business at TheStreet.com. MarketWise is a subscription-based investment research tool. I think it's gotten too cheap here with a stock of four bucks and change. At these levels, it's trading at nine times next year's earnings, and I see it as a pure value play. The most recent quarter caused one final lurch down because they refused to offer full-year guidance. They had a long thing about it on the call. It was kind of cumbersome. Uh, they gave a somewhat grim commentary on the current quarter. But I think that's washed out all the weekends and created a good entry point. I read some of those newsletters. Look, it's dicey because it's about the stock market. If the stock market keeps going down, no one's going to buy the stock market-wise. Well, few will. Third, Orion Specialty Group Holdings. Now, this, these guys provide specialty products and services to the insurance industry. Ryan Specialty is one of the few 2021 IPOs that's defied the gravitational pull of the broader group. Came public at 23.50, and even after getting slammed post earnings this week, it's at 36 bucks and change. I think the sell was excessive, given that the numbers were fine, the guidance was better than the analysts were expecting. I like the stock here. Generally speaking, leaders in boring industries can give you some tremendous long-term gains. 
Fourth is a company called Sovos Brands. Now, here's a packaged food company you might recognize as Rayo's pasta sauce. I like going to Rayo's. This one doesn't require you to stick your neck out. Sovos just had the misfortune of coming public too late in the IPO cycle last September. So it got abandoned like everything else. But this company just reported a magnificent quarter, and the stock's been rallying nicely this week. Even after this move, though, it's trading at just 20 times this year's earnings estimates, and the stock is off a few bucks from its IPO price. Finally, there's Vivid Seats. Now, this is a Ticketmaster competitor that came public via a SPAC deal late last year. I think Vivid can make for a terrific reopening play, even though it's the most expensive new issue on our list. Trading at 50 times next year's earnings estimates may not be your cup of tea. However, when you look at its free cash flow basis, it's only selling for 10 times last year's numbers, which is a lot more reasonable. Stocks had a nice move during a difficult time for the market. I think it's got more room to run. Vivid seats. Bottom line, if you're willing to be disciplined in your approach, you've got my permission to sift among the rubble of last year's IPOs and SPAC mergers. That's why I like Hayward Holdings, MarketWise, Ryan Specialty Group Holdings, Sovos Brands, and Vivid Seats. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer is bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for The Lightning Round. And then The Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Ski, die, tell The Lightning Round. Here's my answer. Jordan in California. Jordan. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. No problemo. I was looking at... I was looking at this company that specializes in niche health products and services that targets Gen Z millennial consumers. Management team strong, subscriptions grew by 95% in 21, and customer retention rate was a healthy 80%. Sitting at a price-to-sales ratio of a little over three, I think it's being grossly undervalued, partially due to inflation destroying a possible high growth. I was wondering, Jim, what are your thoughts on him and hers? Him and hers lose money. And even though it seems low on a dollar basis, I'm not recommending stocks that are losing a lot of money. They just don't work for me. Let's go to Michael in Florida. Michael. Hey, Jim. Big booyah to you from Florida. The stock I get a question about is a stock that came down huge after a special dividend payout a while back. It has a dividend of 12.94%, and it's only at $5.40. What is your opinion on two harbors? When I see something like that, that's what I call a definitive red flag. I'm not going there. We've seen a lot of companies like that. Over time, they usually have like residential mortgages that nobody knows about. I'm not playing. Let's go to David in Ohio. David. Big booyah from Cleveland. Got to get you out to it. All right, partner. What's going on? Uh, I'm calling about Shell Midstream, S-H-L-X. Bought it for the dividend. It's since been reduced from $1.84 to about twenty. Uh, stock took a hit. Uh, but there's a buyout offer from an affiliate, Shell Pipeline Company. I don't think we need uh, to do this. I think, it, you know, I think that this is, you know, I want you to do enterprise product partners. I want to get give you some upside. EPD, that's the best one if you want to be in that group now. Uh, and it's got a 7.7% yield. It's really well run. How about Steven in Georgia? Steven. Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for taking my call. No problem. I'm a senior at the University of Georgia, and I've been a fan of bad money for a few years now. Thank you. I wanted to hear your thoughts on the recently announced strategic combination between Healthcare Realty Trust, ticker HR, and Healthcare Trust of America, ticker HDA. The stock is down around 13% year-to-date. Are you a buyer? 
You know, I don't know. I, I thought that made a lot of, of sense. By the way, I like Ventos, too. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how many guys from Georgia Defense are going to come public. Um, I think that you've got a good one. I like it. And I like your attitude toward uh, toward the stock market. I need to go to Philip in Georgia, please. Philip. Booyah. Booyah. First caller, long-time listener. Excellent. Hey, look, I tested about 18% of my portfolio in DraftKings. That's too high. I, I mean, I, 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 I like, you know, I like Jason Robbins. I work for DraftKings. I think that James Ch- uh, Jim Chano says it's a great short. I think the time they're shorted, the stock was much, much higher. They're going to be a winner, but I don't. I think you've got to cut that to 10%. That's too much. You have too much in that one stock. Let's go to, to Jorge in California. Jorge. Thank you for taking the call. Of course. Uh, I'm interested in, in what you have to say about GILD. No, I know it looks very, very cheap. But you know what? That's not why we buy drug stocks. We buy drug stocks because they've got growth, and Gilead has none. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, has the bear's roar become a bore? How did the bulls trample doubters in a week locked with uncertainty? Find out next. One week ago, one week ago, we thought the great bear market of 2022 would never end for good reason. We knew the stalemate in Ukraine couldn't end well. We knew we were on the cusp of a big, bad Fed meeting. The prospect that Fed Chief Jay Powell gone hard, throwing us in a recession. He had inflation everywhere, every commodity, especially oil. And we expected the collapse in the Chinese stock market that made it seem like the whole country was falling apart. A week later, and it's a different world. As crazy as it seems, the drag in the war is now cutting against the Russians. The outpouring of international support for Ukraine now has Putin surrounded, just like he's got the people of Kiev surrounded. The difference being that short of nuclear weapons, the Russian military seems like a Potemkin army. Rather than worrying about Zelensky's survival, the question is if Putin could stay in power. And will the West even consent to it? Because the West is going to have a very big role in his future. And you must remember, every tyrant ends. Every tyrant ends. China, President Xi caused the bottom in stocks with an aggressive buying push. He caught the shorts leaning the wrong way. And he crushed him. Big week for him. The Fed. Just like I expected, the event was well telegraphed and Chairman Powell handled things with a plum, admitting the Fed has a lot of wood to chop and suggesting that he have to stay aggressive unless inflation slows down. That's exactly what we need to hear, right? Then as if by magic, the high growth stocks that are reasonable prospects, even if they're losing money, sold their stocks soar because anything that can tamp down on inflation makes their future earnings more valuable. Of course, then again, I do want you to take profits from the ones that are losing big money. How about oil? It was up on a spike like so many other commodities and slinked down quickly to a still high but more reasonable level. At least it didn't spike to 120 like the bears told us it would. So how could we go from bear to bull in one week? I think the answer is pretty simple. What we previously viewed as an unthinkably positive scenario turned out to be the more rigorous view than the bearish view. The slowdown in Russia's invasion had more to do with a false estimation of their military capacity and an underestimating of Ukraine's abilities including that of its leader. At the same time, we've seen oil spike, but we also know that the oil futures are often irrational. 
it's not a good market. So we could have negative pricing. Remember that? Once real sellers came in, the actual producers, not just futures traders, the price dropped. As for Powell, I have no idea how to get it across to people. He's a different kind of Fed chairman. He's thoughtful. He's prescient. He's well-grounded, and he's smarter than the 20-odd people in that Hollywood Squares thing he's got going when he does that press conference. Put it all together, and you have a remarkable term, one that was accelerated by the tremendous amount of negativity that simply added fuel to the fire. What's the real lesson of this week's incredibly bullish action? I think it's that the bears are incredibly effective getting their message out, while the bulls want to stay silent because they don't want to look like idiots on YouTube if they turn out to be wrong. Nobody ever mocks the bears. They're always taken seriously. So they don't care about looking like idiots. But a blown positive call can kill your career in this business. A blown negative call, it does nothing. So I need you to think about who you listen to. And remember that some person's agenda might be very different from yours. Maybe they want to be able to raise money for their hedge funds, which means they need to temper their bullishness in public. You want to make money. It's not the same. Never has been. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.